good morning. Already second service is doing better. We had someone in first service, one of the kids yelled out, my parents don't let me eat Oreos. In second service, they are actually eating Oreos. <laughs> so that was a discipline situation in the first service, and in this second service, it's an evidence of grace. Good to see it. Please turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we are still working our way through the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, in this portion of the sermon, Jesus is continuing a point that he began at the beginning of chapter 6 about how the Christian life is lived primarily before God and not before men, before other people. And he's addressed this through the practice of our giving to the poor, through our practice of prayer, and as Jacob said today, we are looking at the practice of fasting. If you're taking notes, the title of my sermon is Fasting for the Father's Reward. Fasting for the Father's Reward. <clears throat> Our passage is Matthew 6, verses 16 through 18. I invite you to follow along as I read God's holy word. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head with, and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. In fact, I'd like to pray for a minute now. Would you pray with me? Uh, Father, we just want to stake out a minute here again as we are positioning ourselves under your word uh, to repray your word to you. Psalm 119, verse 18. God, open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things in your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, all over the world... America is known as the place where three square meals a day is the norm. Plus, we snack through the day, as my kids can attest to. I feel like all they do is want to snack, 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 snack. Then we pick up something at Starbucks in the afternoon and go spend $10 there on your little drink. Maybe enjoy a dessert after dinner or a glass of wine. Americans like our food. We like to eat. We like to order out. We like to order in. There's all these new food trucks that are everywhere now, offering us all kinds of different delectables to enjoy. We are a, a foodie nation. And here's something to reflect on. America is a place where we think appetite and hunger are one and the same. So it comes with no surprise that nearly three quarters of Americans are overweight. And at least one third of our children are overweight. So on the one hand, we are a culture obsessed with food but then on the other hand, we live in a culture that worships the body and especially sexuality. So just think about your trip to the grocery store when you are checking out. 
what, what is there for you while you're waiting? The magazine rack. And what is on the magazine rack? Well, one magazine shows you Chris Hemsworth, the actor who played Thor in the Marvel movies, and he's got his shirt off, and he's showing you the possibility for some humans to have a nine-pack. Not a six-pack, but a nine-pack, apparently. Not something I'm familiar with personally, but this is something that some people apparently have, and the magazine promises you a workout like Chris Hemsworth so that you, too, can look like Thor, god of the nine-pack. Next to Thor is a magazine of cheesecake (laughs) with nice little fall decorations around it. Promise you the recipe for the best, most decadent cheesecake you've ever had. Now last time I checked, looking like Thor and enjoying decadent cheesecake, the two do not mix. Or there's Oprah's magazine telling you she's got a new diet so that you too can live forever like she apparently is going to do. And that is right next to the rows and rows of candy. These are the impulse buys that we're given. Yes, please give me the diet magazine and the Butterfinger. We love food a lot, but we also worship our body. And so we spend so much time and money on exercising and gym memberships and smoothies and health foods. At the same time, more and more people are struggling with eating disorders like anorexia and bulimia. And so many young people, especially young women, are dealing with body image issues. We love food, we worship the body, and what both sides have in common is not just an unhealthy relationship with food, but also this, that our body too often has become our master. Our body has become our master and it has a power and authority over us. If we're honest, our body has way more power over us than we want to admit. And underneath that, underneath our desire for food and all the pleasures that come from that, or our obsession with exercise and attractive bodies and all the pleasure that can come from that, underneath all that is what psychologists call the pleasure principle. This is the driving motivation of the immature, of the kid, who only wants to do what feels good in the moment. Once reserved for children though, once reserved for kids up through middle school or something like that, has become the norm in the United States of America. We live off our impulse desires. Hence the explosion of debt and divorce and the rise of addiction and obesity and the obsession with fitness and so on and so on and so on. We are stuck in immaturity. Even a lot of Christians are. And here's the thing, as long as we are running our lives on the pleasure principle, the reality is we aren't running our lives. And neither is God. They are being run by our immature impulses. They are being run by our inordinate desires. They are being run by what the Bible calls the desires of the flesh. 
Scripture teaches that before God saved us, we lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, Ephesians 2, 3. Then, after we were converted, after we were made new in Jesus Christ, what happens is God puts his spirit in us. He gives us the Holy Spirit, and this side of heaven, there's a war going on inside of us. Sanctification is a battle. That's why it feels so hard to defeat sin, to overcome sin, because it's a fight. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Galatians 5. He says there's this battle inside of us between the desires of the flesh on the one hand and the desires of the spirit on the other. The two are opposed to each other, they say. So what are the desires of the flesh? What's, what's that? That's a strange phrase. What's that mean? What are the desires of the flesh? Well, it's your natural desire, my natural desire, for the things of this world, like food and drink and sex and sleep and security and comfort, none of which are bad in and of themselves, except that their focus is always on satisfying you, gratifying you, appeasing you. That's the flesh. It takes our body's natural desires and sin curves them so that they're only focused on just satisfying and appeasing us, ourselves. They're the self-oriented desire we have for the things of this world. So a couple thousand years before a psychologist ever called it the pleasure principle, the apostle Paul called it the desires of the flesh. The other side of the, you know, on the other court, in the other side of the ring is the desires of the spirit. It's God working in you to will and to want more of him, to will and to want more of his work in your life, to will and to want to serve others in love. The desires of the flesh are inward-oriented. They are aimed at satisfying you, while the desires of the spirit are outward-oriented. They're aimed at serving God and serving others. And Paul says, those who belong to Christ Jesus crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. That is, we don't gratify our inordinate desires for the things of this world to satisfy us. We don't indulge our selfish impulses. Instead, Paul says, we live by the Spirit, which is to say, we follow the Spirit's leading in loving God and loving others. So the Christian life is one of, is really one of, if you think about it, starving the desires of the flesh and feeding the desires of the Spirit. The Christian life is one of starving the desires of the flesh and feeding the desires of the Spirit. And this is exactly where the practice of fasting can help us. If you want to crucify the desires of the flesh and live in the Spirit, fasting can help you with that. If you want to grow as a Christian, fasting can help you with that. If you want to grow in maturity so you're not run by the impulse desires of your flesh, fasting can help you with that. If you want to see the power of sin broken in some area of your life, if you want to see the power of the desires of your body broken, if you want to see the seduction of this world and its power over you broken, fasting can help you with that. It's not that fasting does it, Jesus does it. It, but he is pleased to use the practice of fasting and the grace that comes to us through that. So our text today is Matthew 
chapter six. And what I wanna do with you this morning is I wanna look at three things Jesus assumes in this passage Three things he assumes about fasting and about you and me. And then I'll spend a little bit of time at the very end talking about a little more about the practice of fasting. So first though, we're gonna look at three things that Jesus assumes in this passage. The first is this. Jesus assumes we know what fasting is. Jesus assumes we know what fasting is. The first thing we see is that he just, know, he just assumes we know it. He doesn't define it. He doesn't describe it. He just assumes we know what he's talking about. But since fasting is probably the least practiced spiritual discipline in our day, it's probably a safe guess that not all of us really get what fasting is. And so I should probably take some time to explain it. In Jesus' first century world, most Jews and all Pharisees fasted twice a week. Uh, They did it from sun up no, I'm sorry, that's the other way. Sundown, that's the night one. Yes, sundown to sundown the next night. So they would skip a dinner, and then they would skip breakfast and lunch, essentially, and then they could have a simple dinner late the next night. That's typically how they did it. Uh, it doesn't, if you want to do breakfast, lunch, and dinner, that's fine. This, us Americans always make up our own way of doing things, so that's what we'll do, probably. But that's how they did it. They did it every Monday and Thursday, along with and along with giving to the poor and praying to God, fasting was considered one of the three true aspects of piety for the Jew. So that's why Jesus teaches on these three subjects in the Sermon on the Mount. Back in the beginning of chapter six, he talked on uh, giving to the needy, and then he talked about praying, and now he's talking about fasting. Uh, If you ask the Jew, they didn't talk about spiritual disciplines, but if you ask them, what three spiritual disciplines, what three aspects of godliness in your life, they would say giving to the poor, praying, and fasting, which is interesting, because we'd probably say reading the Bible, praying, maybe worship, maybe going to church, something like that. For the Jew, they thought about a little bit differently, which is just food for thought. The early church continued the practice of fasting. Uh, We see this in a number of passages in Acts. Uh, Also, we have some um, Christian, early Christian writings from the first century where they talked about how the early church practiced fasting. Many practiced fasting twice a week still, just like the Jews did. Only they changed it uh, from Monday and Thursday to Wednesday and Friday. And the practice of fasting largely has continued through church history, though it's ebbed and flowed throughout it. However, it seems like since the late modern age, sometime in the 1800s maybe, it seems like there's been a huge ebb in fasting. Uh, it seems like, the, as, as, at least in the United States, let's say it that way, as our wealth grew, as our prosperity grew, as our abundance grew, fasting went down. In his book, Celebration of Discipline, Richard Foster says that in all his research on the spiritual disciplines, which is kind of his area, he's like a guru in that area, he couldn't find evidence of a single book being published on fasting between 1861 to 1954. So for nearly 100 years in Christian publishing, like no one was talking about fasting. So I'd say in our day, we're probably still in an ebb. I'd say in our church, we're probably in an ebb. Uh, I won't ask for a show of hands, but my guess is, my hazard guess, is that fasting does not make up a regular part of most of our lives. 
And by saying that it doesn't make up a regular part of most of our lives, what I'm really actually saying, I'm being very gracious, but I'm actually saying it probably doesn't, we probably never do it. Like, or very rarely. And there's probably some of you here who have never fasted at all. And I'm not looking to condemn you at all, but I, I think God is inviting us into something, into something there, here following Jesus. Something he wants us to step into the grace of. So what is fasting? Well, probably most of us know a kind of dictionary definition of fasting. Abstaining from food. That's fasting, abstaining from food. I think biblically you can define it a little bit more than that. I would, I would say, biblically speaking, I think of fasting like this. Fasting is abstaining, abstaining from something good we desire, usually food, in order to intensify our desire for something even greater. Fasting is abstaining from something good we desire, usually food, most often in the Bible it's food, in order to intensify our desire for something even greater, namely God and his work in our life. Now, like I said, fasting in the Bible is almost always about abstaining from food. But there, is seem, there does seem to be a category in Scripture about abstaining from something other than food. Uh, for example, in 1 Corinthians 7, the Apostle Paul is talking about marriage. He's talking about a married couple, and he says some married couples may abstain from sex for a season to pray. So he doesn't use the word fasting, but it seems like the same idea as fasting. You're abstaining from something for the purpose of prayer. So he writes, do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. That's 1 Corinthians 7, 5. So I think this shows us here there can be a, a category for fasting, a biblical category for fasting from things other than food. So I've heard about people fasting from social media, fasting from TV or movies, fasting from following a sports team or their... Um, What's the football thing that guys are always doing? Fantasy football or things like that, um, from a hobby and stuff. And I think that's all legit. I think there's freedom and God may call you to, to do those kinds of things, those kinds of fasts. But I, I just wanna throw out there, I kinda have, I have a pastoral thought on this. I have a pastoral opinion on this some. It's, it's you know, as Paul says, you know, this is not the Lord, this is me. So this is not the Lord, this is me. This is just my thinking reflecting on the practice of, of uh, fasting. In the Bible, it does seem to be tied to food or to sex, or maybe even you could say to sleep at times. I, I think there's something about fasting from things that we desire that arise from within the body to satisfy a bodily function, bodily need, that is especially suited for fasting. Because take food, for example, which is the normal one. It, it seems like in scripture, the, the, the thinking is, as the desire for food grows within you, as it, it begins to gnaw at you, it's intensifying and thus presses you in your intense desire for something more. If you're abstaining from something good, you desire, in order to intensify a desire for something even greater, as your body hungers for food or maybe hungers for sleep or even sex, that just seems to naturally drive your intensity to say, and I'm saying I wanna desire something more better or something even more. And so I'm not saying you can't fast from things other than food or anything like that, but I do think that there's something really helpful about keeping fasting as primarily, usually normally, from food. 
All right, two other things I'll just say about fasting here. These are kind of more just to help you uh, if you're thinking about fasting and they felt like a good place to put them in here. First, fasting needs to be aimed. Fasting needs to be aimed. We don't just do it hoping something good's gonna come from it. Well, I, why are you fasting? I'm just, I Bible says fast, so I'm just fasting and hoping something good comes from it. Well, what's the saying? Aim at nothing and what? You'll hit it every time. That's right. In the Bible, there always seems to be an aim to fasting. You're doing it for a reason. There is a need you have. There is a need your fasting is meant to give expression to. You need food. You're saying, I need food. I need food. But more than that, I need this from God. So there's an aim to your fasting. So, I mean, just, what should I fast about? What do you need from God? Fill in the blank. Do you need guidance? Do you need to feel more godly sorrow over something? Do you need deliverance or protection? Do you need to repent and return to God? Do you need greater humility? Do you need more of the fruit of the Spirit in your life? even a particular spirit or a fruit that you're working on or want? Do you need to overcome a particular temptation? Do you need to break the power of sin? Do you wanna express your concern for the work of God? Maybe with something going on in the world or a missionary or something, you just wanna say, God, I just want my heart to be with that desire too. Or maybe it's to express your solidarity with someone in need. Isaiah 58 is a teaching on fasting in the Bible and in it, it, it talks about um, you fast to, to be in one with those in need, hungry, poor. Or maybe you just wanna grow in love for God, a hunger for God. The point is, fasting is most effective when it's aimed at a godly purpose. We abstain from something good we, in, we desire in order to intensify our desire for something greater. What is it? What do you want from God? Fasting aims at that. The second thing I'd want to say here is that fasting is not only aimed at something, but it's also an aid, an aid to praying. In scripture, fasting is always associated with prayer. The two go together like peanut butter and jelly. They go together like Batman and Robin. They go together like lightning and thunder. They go together like Jason Burt. <laughs> Fasting and prayer go together. In Ezra 8.23, the people of Israel fasted and petitioned God. In Nehemiah 1.4, Nehemiah fasted and prayed. In Daniel 9.3, Daniel devoted himself to prayer and petition in fasting. In Acts 13, verse three, it's the church in Antioch fast and pray, then they place their hands on Barnabas and Paul and send them off on a missionary journey. And of course, here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus just taught us how to pray, when you pray, and now he's teaching us how to fast, when you fast. Uh, so the two always go side by side. The two always go together. And the reason for this is fasting is meant to intensify prayer. The intensity of fasting is meant to fuel the intensity of your prayer. Fasting sharpens the edges of our petitions. It escalates the urgency of us, what we're asking for. It, it fuels a kind of force in our pleading. So fasting isn't something we do alone, but it's something that we, we use to fuel and funnel and aim our prayers at something. Fasting intensifies our prayer life for a season. 
All right, so that's the first assumption. Jesus assumes we know what fasting is. Second assumption is Jesus assumes that we will fast. Jesus assumes that we will fast. If you are a Christian, Jesus assumes you're going to fast. Right here, verse 16, he says, and when you fast. He doesn't say if you fast, but when you fast. So Jesus assumes fasting is a good thing that his disciples are going to do. He expects us to fast. It's a normal thing for Christians. It's as normal as giving to the needy when you give to the needy, Jesus says. It's as fasting as praying, or it's as normal as praying. He says when you pray. And now he says, and when you fast. Jesus expects us to give away to the needy. He expects us to pray to God, and he expects us to fast. We learned the same thing over in Matthew 9. Now, Matthew 9, just a couple uh, chapters later, John the Baptist's disciples come to Jesus, and they say to him, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Like, man, hey, following John is hard, dude. Like, we're supposed to be fasting, and we like, we're like, we're saying like, come, we need the Messiah, and we look at your disciples, and they're like, I mean, they're just enjoying life. They're celebrating. They go to wedding feasts with you. What's up with that? And Jesus says, well, can the wedding guest mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. So here Jesus calls himself the bridegroom and his disciples the wedding guests, and he says, hey, as long as I'm here, it's a time of celebration, not a time of self-denial. This is a time of joy that I'm, I'm with you. But when I'm taken away, when I go up to my father, then my disciples will fast. So in both Matthew 9 and here in Matthew 6, we find Jesus expects his disciples to fast. He doesn't command it, he just expects it. And not that some of us will. This is not just something that pastors and missionaries and the really spiritual people do. This is just if you are a disciple of Jesus and when you fast. Now there are a number of different kinds of fasts we find in scripture. There's kind of the normal fast we find, which is a fast from food, but not from water. This is the kind of fast Jesus did for 40 days in the desert. Uh, it says that he was without food and he was hungry and the, Satan came and tempted to turn the rocks into, into bread because he was hungry. That's the normal kind of fast. There's also an absolute fast. This is when you uh, fast from food and water. This is rarer. Um, Esther does it and Paul does it both for three days because of kind of an emergency situation So it's usually seen as kind of something like if there's an urgent emergency need Might drive you to, to such a uh, an, an absolute fast, but there's also partial fast uh, In scripture so Daniel for instance went three weeks without meat or wine or Something else I've forgotten what else that was um, so he kind of he fasted from luxury things for a season Maybe because, of, maybe because of work. He was a man with great responsibility. Maybe he could not fast the way he wanted to, absolutely, purely from it, so he fasted from some things for a season. Point is, there are different ways to fast in Scripture. We see different kinds of fast, but Jesus expects his disciples to be fasting. All right, last one. Jesus assumes that we will be rewarded. 
Jesus assumes we'll be rewarded for fasting. Assuming we fast for the right reason. So we gotta get that right first. Jesus says, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. In Jesus' day, the reward the Jews that were fasting, the hypocrites of, of the Jews, uh, they were fasting for the recognition of men. So they fasted twice a week, and when they fasted, you know, it was like, it's kind of like how my, my kids can sometimes struggle with obedient, obeying me, you know? It's like, you need to go do this, and they're like, oh. And some people would apparently fast like that, right? Like, all down, oh, I'm just, oh, oh, it's just, oh, it's a hard day. Why, what's going, oh, I'm fasting, oh. And the, the, I mean, probably because it's rare, like, like if people did that, or I'm like, oh, they're fasting. I mean, like, I feel that way, like, oh, you're fasting. Wow, that's, I mean, that's great, that's hard. Fasting's hard, you know? And Jesus is saying that, that they did that for recognition from men. In fact, Matthew does this great play on words in, in the Greek where he says they disfigure their faces and their fasting may be seen by others. Uh, the, the Greek scholars say that it, it, the, the words look something like this. They, they make themselves unrecognizable in order to be recognized by others. And Jesus says that's all the reward you're gonna get then if that's your motive for it. If you're just doing it to be spiritual in the religious sense, if you're just trying to show off, that's all you get. Against this, Jesus says, when you fast, clean yourself up, take a shower, put on some nice clothes, spray some cologne or body stuff, whatever you use. Make yourself look presentable so no one can guess that you're fasting because you're not fasting for anybody but for God. You're not fasting for anything anybody in this room or anywhere else could get you, give you for something. You're doing it for God. As John Piper has said, we fast from food to feast on God. Whereas I said, we starve the desires of the flesh to feed the desires of the spirit. That's why we are to fast. And when we do it for this reason, Jesus promises us we can expect God will reward our fasting. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, what does that reward look like? I don't know exactly what that reward looks like every time. I know that you can expect it. Some of it may be in heaven, a heavenly reward, but we have every expectation from Scripture to expect that fasting produces rewards in this life, that God will often hear our plea, our need for, remember the aim we identified earlier, and God is inclined to want to bless us in that area. He is inclined to want to reward us. He's inclined to want to give us what we are desperately saying we need. Now, does that mean that fasting somehow merits God's reward? Are we earning that? Are we saying, hey, God, you know, it's like a you know, Coke machine or something. Like, I put the money in a fasting, and now 
you give me this, right? Like, is that how fasting works here? Is that what Jesus is saying? No, that's not what Jesus is saying. What is Jesus saying? What does he mean that, it, that this God re- rewards us for it if it's not some kind of merit, if it's not? This is what it is. God delights, God delights to reward fasting for this reason. In Isaiah 55, God promises water to those who are thirsty and have no money for it. And he promises food and milk and wine to those who are hungry and have no money for it. And in Revelation 21 and 22, he promises to the thirsty, I will give you the spring of water of life without payment. In other words, the reward of life, the reward of the water, all that, the price for these things that God has to offer, for the goodness he wants to give, the price is need. The price is thirst. The price is hunger. And this is a principle all throughout scripture. It's the poor in spirit who are rewarded with the kingdom of heaven. It's those who wait for the Lord that he acts for, Isaiah 64, four. It's those who trust in his power and not in their horses or chariots that he comes through with triumphant power to help, Psalm 27 or 20, verse seven. It's those who delight in the Lord and trust in him who get the desires of their heart, Psalm 37, verse four and five. The sacrifices acceptable to God are a broken and contrite heart. In other words, empty things of need that God says, I will reward and I will fill. The principle is this, God delights to reward acts that signified our absolute helplessness in ourselves, but our absolute hope in God. God loves to reward acts that say, I am helpless in myself, but my hope is in the Lord. God says, when I see that, that I'm inclined to reward because it magnifies the glory of my grace. We see this in 1 Peter 4.11 uh, where we're exhorted, those who serve, serve as one who serves by the strength God, what? supplies that he gives in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. The logic of the passage is don't serve in your own strength, serve with the strength God supplies and gives because then he, the giver, gets the glory. So God delights to act or to reward acts that signify our helplessness in ourselves but our hope in him because this magnifies the glory of his grace that comes to us through the all-providing work of Jesus Christ, his son. And the practice of fasting is just suited perfectly for this. In it, we are coming and saying, I've got nothing here. I'm coming with, with emptiness, emptiness in my gut, God, to signify emptiness in me. All I've got is hope in you. Fasting says, Father, I am hungry, and you are the bread of life. Fasting says, I am thirsty, and you are the fountain of love. 
Fasting says, I'm weak, God, but you are strong. Fasting says, I am poor, but you are rich. Fasting says, I am foolish, but you are wise. Fasting says, I am broken, but you are the great physician. Fasting says, I am enslaved, but you can set me free. Fasting says, I'm dying, but your steadfast love is better than life. God loves to reward. He delights to reward this kind of confession of need and act of faith because it glorifies the abundance of his grace provided for us through the saving work of Jesus Christ, his son. So God says, test me. See if I don't want to bless you. All you have to bring is your thirst, is your hunger, is your need. And I am so happy to give. All right, let's conclude then with a few thoughts about, let's conclude with a few thoughts about practicing this. You know, this study has been good for me because I am not one where fasting is a regular part of my life. I went through a season where I fasted once a month as kind of a regular practice, a regular habit for me, a discipline that I have, but I haven't been in that for a long time. And so if you're like me, it's not a regular part of your life uh, or you've never done it at all, I'm saying like, let's step into this. Let's see the Lord's reward. Let's come and be honest about our desperate need and see if God doesn't wanna bless that and help us out. This passage has helped me study this, has helped stir that desire in me, saying, okay, yeah, I want this, I want to do this. I hope that's something of your desire too, that's awakening, that's being stirred up. But if it is, I have a warning for you. This practice is not easy. Now, some of you are like, well, that's about the most understated Say, oh, duh, Jace, we're like going without food. We know it's not, we can anticipate that one, Jace. It didn't, doesn't take a pastor studying for hours over God's word to tell us that going without food for a day is hard. I know you get that one, but what I'm trying to sensitize you to is this. When you fast, you're not only going without food, you're essentially picking a fight with your flesh. You're picking a fight with the desires of your body, of your flesh. And those of you who have fasted can testify about what I'm saying because you know as well as I do, when you fast, sin comes out. Have you noticed that? I've noticed that. When I sin, or when I fast, sin comes out of me. Irritability. Anxiety. Richard Foster says, fasting reveals the things that control you. So if pride, anger, bitterness, anxiety, fear, these kinds of things are inside of you, lust, sexual temptations, if these things are, are having an influence on your heart, if there's some aspect of control of them in your life, and you remove the grace of feeding yourself for a day, you find out all that stuff starts coming out. And doctors will say, well, that's because you're going without food. Yes, but the body and the spirit are intertwined in the Bible. I'm irritable, I'm anxious. And I'm like, why am I fasting for godliness, for fruit of the spirit, when I just am irritable and angry? Well, that's because that's what's inside of me and I need to see it brought out. You know, Paul writes in Philippians, about the, those whose God is their belly. 
Remember that? God, those whose God is their belly. And I look in the mirror and I look at my, I'm like, oh, I'm a pretty skinny guy. Like, that's, that's obviously not a passage about me. That's not, that's not a passage for me, right? And then I fast and I think, oh my goodness, my God is my belly. Like, it's just running my life and ruining my day because I don't have food. So one of the things you have to be prepared for when you fast is that this is gonna be part of your experience and so with fasting comes the practice of repentance, of owning these things and repenting of them, turning away from them. This is how we starve the desires of the flesh for the purpose of feeding the desires of the spirit. Fasting helps intensify our desire for God and his work in our life. So here's the plan. Here's the plan if you are game uh, with me to begin fasting. This coming Friday, we have a corporate prayer meeting that we've called. This is in response to us studying the Lord's Prayer and, and prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, and we've said we want to cultivate prayer in this church. We want to be a praying people. We want to pray more often, and we want to pray together more often. And so for the next 10 months, we're going to have monthly corporate prayer meetings. And on those days of corporate prayer, we also want to call for a day of corporate fasting a day where we fast together as a community. This is something the pastors are calling you to. It's not something you have to do. It's not command in scripture. It's more we're inviting you into it as we try to step into grace that we believe God has for us. And so this coming Friday, we're inviting you, we are calling you to join us in fasting for the day, uh, if you can, through breakfast, lunch, and dinner, all the way up through our prayer meeting that night so that we come into that prayer meeting not just hungering for food, but using that to intensify our prayers for our hunger for God. And hopefully there'll be enough grace for us all that we're not snapping and irritable at each other. If you are, you can go pray in a corner or something like that and we'll just leave you alone. What are they doing over there? Business with God. <laughs> and I suggest you leave them alone with it. So the, the prayer meeting this Friday starts at 7 p.m. here at the church. And if you'll join us in this, and I hope you will, I encourage you to also pick a name, like we talked about earlier. Have something godly you specifically are fasting for. And let your fasting aid your prayers. Let every hunger pang through the day prompt you to pray. Uh, if we're fasting rightly, there should be a lot of spontaneous prayer while we're fasting because every hunger pang moves us to pray. But then it's also good to have set times of prayer when we're fasting. And so a lot of people replace their meal times with, with prayer times if they're able to, which you may want to do. But then of course Friday we'll have that prayer meeting that night and that's a great time to pray as well. Let me also say parents, uh, I encourage you to invite your children to, to, to do this with us in some way. Um, you know, if they're able, you know their constitution better, they might have a, an, a, an urge on this as well. Maybe they skip one meal, maybe they skip all three meals. Uh, you know, you help pa parent them through that, but I encourage you to, to join them with you and with us in practicing this fast. All right, in, to end with, let me just say this. I want to say again, I want to say this. Uh, fasting is about the Father. We don't do it to impress others. We fast as an expression of our helplessness in ourself, but our hope in God. And this is the kind of act our Father in heaven loves to reward. 
because it magnifies the glory of his grace and the all-providing work of his son. So, will we follow Jesus into fasting for the Father's reward? Let's do it. Will you join me in prayer? Well, Father in heaven, uh, God, we are here before you, Lord, um, in response to the preaching of your, your word to say that uh, we see this need, this call, this invitation to fast in scripture, Lord, uh, this expectation even that, that you have of us, Lord, and, and yet we need grace, we need help um, even to take the first steps into fasting, Lord. Um, at, at first impression, it's, it's often not something we're excited about. But then as we, we meditate on all that you have for us and all that you are for us and all, that we, all the more we could have of you and how fasting can help us along with that, our appreciation for our interest in fasting stirs, grows. And so, Lord, I pray that you would use your word and the work of your spirit this week to intensify our own desires for more of you and that we would be willing to take the step of faith to fast Uh, to abstain from the things of this world that we might get more of you and more of your work in our lives. And God, meet us in our neediness. Uh, Lord, help us where we cry out for more of you, God. And do so in such a way that we can say, this comes not from me, this comes not from my willpower, this comes not out of myself, but is a gift from God. This is his doing in my life. To you be the glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.